We've been getting lots of cards and letters from you folks out there in the television land. And we surely do thank you for, uh, for, uh, for all the cards and the letters uh, from you folks uh, out there in the television land. Um, uh, starting us off tonight is our trio, the Lemon Sisters. And girls, uh, what are you going to sing? We're going to sing, thank you for all those cards and letters, you folks out there in television land. Lent. Lent. An appropriate number. Uh, one and two and... Alright, I got an idea. Okay. We should have done this a long time ago. We should periodically have a listener's request. And so you can put a tag at the end of the show and say, we're interested in letting you guys set the agenda. So send us your picks and selections of things you'd like us to talk about that we haven't talked about already. And when we get four likely suspects, we'll find them and bag them and tag them and do them. And we'll just do this periodically. You should probably just throw something in at the end of every podcast and say, now and again, we'll do the listener's request. What do you think of that? That'd be fine. Snarky. Jazz. <laughs> All right. Well, are we ready for this one? Let's do it. Okay. Welcome to Jazz Bastard Podcast 115. I'm Pat. What I really wanted was to have an auto-tuner, an auto-tuner at this point where he go, I'm a Welcome. You know, I want to put some yeah. in post so we, we can enjoy that. Yeah, I was thinking of oh, good. Sing, the sing speaking, the whole uh, review when we get to Glasper. Mike is referring <laughs> to one of the selections on tonight's podcast, which is largely focusing on vocal performances, though there is an exception to that. And, and these are just things, three of them were things that were, well, sorry, two of them. I've just been acquiring when I can items that all music deemed worthy jazz. And we often disagree with all music, so that's fine. So two of these come from that. And then one comes from one of my students throwing something at me. And then the other something you came up with. Right. The occasion of asking us to talk about Al Jarreau's Look to the Rainbow from 1977 was it Al did pass away this February 12th and I thought you know this is a musician that I've heard about but never really listened to and I should you know dig up something of his in honor of his passing and take a listen to it and apparently a a lot of reviewers think in terms of his jazz contributions look to the rainbow a live set recorded in Europe early in his career is is maybe the peak of what he did or certainly one of his better offerings he had a long varied career a lot of it was fairly pop focused I'm not sure how to describe this one, but I've got a whole riff on it when we get to it. So that was my selection. Which ones did you bring to the table? So, yeah, I brought the two that were just all music finds were uh, Robert Glasper's Art Science. What is that, 2016 or yeah, 2015? Yeah, that's the date I'm running across. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's 16. Yeah. So pretty recent, and, yeah. Right, and we've done a, 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 his previous one of his previous efforts, Black Radio. So we're, this is our second time around with Bob he probably doesn't like that, Robert. Let's just call him Robert. And then um, Somi, a single-named singer from Chicago, actually, but who expatriated or was in Africa for a time. 
And so this album is called the Lagos Music. Where's the full title? The Lagos Music Salon. See, so Lagos her, being a city in Nigeria. Yeah, I, her name is spelled S O M I, but I thought it was pronounced Charday. <laughs> little snark there for you. Little snark there. Just bringing up a little snark. Well, I'll have something to say about that. I don't. I don't think that's fair to her or to Charday. So, so there. Okay. Take that. Okay. And then uh, one of my students who was in my jazz class. One of my students in my jazz class a couple years ago, he's very into the hip hop and he found at some sale a copy of Toshinoro Kondo's Kiyoku. Toshinoro Kondo, for them what don't know, is a downtown avant-garde jazz trumpeter. And on this outing, he is moonlighting with DJ Crush. So this is a Kondo Crush, a Crush Kondo production. A DJ Toshi Kondo Crush event. And I don't even know the date on this. Do you know? I don't have it in front of me anymore. because Yeah, I found a, like 98 seemed to be okay. the theory. And, and so it's, and boy, that's, it's one that I had been obviously completely off my radar. All I could think of is yeah. Michael's type whining. I've got my orange crush. I, I know nothing of, of DJ Crush at all. Apart from the fact that DJ Crush is actually of Asian heritage background, I guess he was born in Tokyo. Um, supposedly, he was a yakuza. Okay, uh, I mean, okay, so I so, like this uh, album a lot, as I like my fingers a lot. So five stars, <laughs> we're done. We're done. DJ DJ Crush kills it with Toshinoro Kondo. Toshinoro Kondo. So yeah, sometimes when you hear rap guy with Japanese avant-gardist, you think, oh, right, Japanese avant-gardist trying to get down with the hip-hop. But in this case, it turns out they literally speak the same language. Mm. So well, I love the hippity-hop, so this will be great. I'm definitely yeah. plugged into that that scene for sure. Okay, after that big dollop of sarcasm, what do you, should we begin with Al? I mean, Al is kind of... We can do Al. You have a riff and I have a riff. We have dueling riffs about Al. We have we have dueling obnoxious snarky riffs. So what you what you may not know is that I managed Al back in the seventies and man every day it's like, come on Al, it's okay. No the audience won't hurt you. Come be brave, Al. Just sing a very simple melody. They're they're it's okay. Just express yourself, Al. It's okay. Come on out, come out to the stage. Don't be shy. All right, we're being a little sarcastic here because if you listen to this album, Al Jarreau, my God, he is effervescent to the point where I had to hide under the table. The man is off the leash. He is going. Off wild. the leash, off the hook, out of the kennel, running wild. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah, this is an amazing record in certain ways, and everybody feels cleaner at the end of it due to all the synthesizer washes. It's, <laughs> wow, it's a certain era. He is it an is amazing... A, it is of its date. <laughs> very much, but but he's an amazing singer, and... It's kind of a jazz gospel combo. There's some vibes in the background there. And you heard you heard out. anything besides synthesizer because all I heard was synthesizer. <laughs> you gotta really you gotta perk up your ears and pray. But but yeah, there are other there there are other interludes. It's not entirely the washes. It's just that the washes, I think, to the modern ear, intrude pretty pretty boldly. 
So, yeah, this is, I think, originally a double album. And, and the word on the Internet street, if that makes sense, which it doesn't, is that apparently the LP was edited a bit to fit on compact disc and some <gasps> things were chopped, including Sorry. apparently a long introduction to his vocal version of Take 5. So huh. I, not having grown up with the LP, I didn't notice it. I, I can't imagine that there may have been more to Take 5 because... Al's a maximalist, isn't he? Yeah, he's somebody that oh, likes yes. more. And so, yeah, I can imagine that he might have done more. But there's a lot to experience and enjoy on this on this release. It's 73 minutes or so long. First impressions of Mr. Giroux at what some people say was kind of the height of his jazzy experimentalness. Later, he apparently retreated to a lot of more M.O.R. kind of vibes again yeah, let's not recall this is the man who sang the uh, theme song to moonlighting the tv show moonlighting wow so. a show i never watched so okay I, I i should have youtube that yeah so i had one of those you know every now and again and you laugh at me when i have these moments but i'll have like a we should have a special segment for this actually sort of with, with like a gong and then you know we'll call it mikey's moments of musical awareness or musical revelation where like something dawns on him right you know so like when i mentioned to you many podcasts ago listening to chuck berry golly he sounds like the beach boys you were like <laughs> yeah the beach boys is chuck berry plus the, the four freshmen i'm like oh yeah of course right early on yeah yes and so one of my so years ago i remember like many people our age uh, grew up listening to journey and it was only later when i heard sam cook's gospel cd so i was like oh my god fucking steve perry stole everything he ever learned from sam cook well, he's not the singer that sam cook is he's not terrible but like don't he steals, start believing mike don't start believing. He, he steals riffs he steals that little you know he steals uh -huh. that little trill okay. thing from sam cook so i had another one of these M mikey's musical moments of revelation i need an I'm, i need an m word there and so the first cut the very first damn cut on this I suddenly realized as I was listening to, I guess it's Letter Perfect. Mm. When I listened to Letter Perfect, I said, and suddenly Dave Matthews' entire vocal career snaps into oh, sharp focus. Oh, 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 ow, ow. But doesn't it, doesn't it, isn't Dave Matthews like obviously a whiter and infinitely less hip version of Al Jarreau? Wow, yeah. Let's uh, pile on some more superlatives because this is not fair to Al in any way, shape, or form. Listen, they fuck both Dave sing through Matthews. Just fuck him with okay, whatever hand. They, they both sing through their nose, and they both have all sorts of maximalist. I wouldn't call it quite scatting, but they have these sort of maximalist sound gestures. One has um, talent. One has talent. One has talent. Oh. Oh, I'm on. a little less enamored of Al than you are. But yeah, I heard that song and I was like, oh, my God, Dave, Math Dave Matthews grew up listening to Al Jarreau. That's, That's so what happened. My, my enamored feelings towards Al. That's my feelings <laughs> towards Dave Matthews. <laughs> I know you hate Dave Matthews. I know you hate him. But the fact is oh there are okay. some similarities when you hear Letter Perfect and then just pick anything off of wow. Under the Table and Dreaming. I, you know? yeah, and, I mean, in a way, I never – Wow, now that you've made that connection, you've made me think of Under the Table and Dreaming, so fuck you. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would have made that You'll connection. You'll never be able to listen to Al Jarreau again. I've ruined Al Jarreau for you. i got to admit, I hadn't calendared out a lot of spots to do that anyway, but yeah, I, I, I largely like this record. But, but Al, there's a lot of Al. Al is a bubbly motherfucker, and he's, he's foaming all over the place. Yeah, I, I guess is, in a way— he is Yeah, he is to sort of uh, hyperactive scat singing what, say, Beyonce is to Melisma. 
this is not a man who's going to, at least on this date, this is a live date. He is not going to sing a ballad straight. He just isn't. You're and right. Absolutely. He's, yeah. he's just all over the place. And if you like the vocal pyrotechnics, great. Sometimes they wear on me. So the number that would seem to have the most jazz content here, take five, bugs the shit out of oh, me. Oh, does it? Okay. Take a little time out with me. Would you just take five? Just take five. Just happy, busy day and take the time out to see that I'm alive. I'm alive. Although I'm going out on my way, hit you so I can pass by each day. Not a single word do we say. It's a pantomime and out of time. Still, I know all eyes are for me. Half a tingles down to my feet. When your smile is much too discreet, it send me gone away. Now, wouldn't it be better not to be so polite? Would you look good off for a light? Just start a little conversation now. I am not a fan of vocalese in general, especially when – so vocalese, uh, for them what don't know, is when people put lyrics to jazz melodies. Who are the big offenders here? Manhattan Transfer? I was, yeah, you could really expand the definition Ross. <laughs> to say when people put stupid lyrics, to, which – because you can't – in other words, a, a, a jazz solo typically is not – structured in a way that lends itself to plastering English over it. It, it tends exactly. to be lots of eighth notes and, and trills and slurs and figures that were meant to be played instrumentally, were not meant to be sung over. And when you cram words over them, yeah, Manhattan Transfer, they almost ruin body and soul for me. I sometimes wish I could have some kind of brain operation that would remove the cells that remember the lyrics body and soul so i could just enjoy coleman hawkins without that ghost haunting me yeah and we still have not done one day we're going to do our vocal group podcast and we are going to both suffer like jesus christ himself for you people and dare to listen swingle singers are on their way (laughs) well and and to be honest yeah i I hadn't even thought of them Uh, there's just uh, some amazing stuff mel torme and the mel tones and Oh, do we have to have Mel with people we hate? And the Boswell sisters are like the best of it. And then they just right downhill on a sled. Right. Yeah. See, I like the Boswell sisters as well. I sort of think like, you know, they're cool. I sort of think like Janice. What's her name from Manhattan Transfer? Manhattan Transfer. Not. Yeah. uh, Manhattan Transfer. And uh, there's some other. uh, Oh, uh, Lance Hendricks. Lambert Hendricks and Ross. And Ross. And and there is another example. Man, they're playing some track of theirs on the radio. And I'm like. Man, these motherfuckers are out of tune. This is bad. I don't know if it was live. But I'm like, why was this recorded? And why was the recording not immediately destroyed? And furthermore, why are you playing it? So, yeah, someday we'll do that. Al is amazing. His articulation, right? He, he loves doing these kind of scat syllables where he's yes. just uh, the plosive sounds he's making seem inhuman in their speed. There's some kinship with Bobby McFerrin, right? It, it's, yes. I, I think Bobby McFerrin probably has a collected works of Al Jarreau and has yeah. listened to them carefully. What I, what gets on my nerves are the – he's such a nasal singer. All that – That stuff gets on my nerves when he sort of scats and he turns into sort of scat nasal singing. There's this kind of twangy, nasally effect that he has. Again, that's why I say Dave Matthews. That really gets under <laughs> – Oh. That really gets under my skin after a while. And also, when he does vocalese, and this is my beef with almost everyone who does vocalese, they want to slap words into a familiar melody, and inevitably they decide what they want to slap words into the familiar melody about is the song itself. You know, yeah, so yeah, this is a yeah. song about take five out. 
and the syllables don't match the meter. They have to raise. Sometimes they have to extend. It's just it feels grossly artificial. I've rarely heard an example that I like. The only one I've heard that I can, and it's not even vocalese really, is Kurt Elling's Nature Boy, which Nature Boy actually has words. Um, right. But the way Kurt Elling does it, it sort of feels turned inside out. It feels like vocalese. I mean, it's not vocalese, but it, it's so played with. You know, Elling is such a, such a jazz man that it feels like vocalese. So, yeah, I, I don't like that. The timbre of his voice gets on my nerves. But yeah, he's an entertainer. Let's put it that way. That's probably the best, the nicest thing I can say. I'm not a huge fan of this. I don't hate it. It's not painful. But there are times when he wears my patience out. I just, I just, I'd like him to try ballad or three. I'd like him to slow it down. Uh, I'd like to hear him actually sing a little bit as opposed to perform. He's a performer. He's an entertainer more than he is a singer here, it seems to me. And so that's, that's, it's it's just so insistent, it's so insistent, and I I kind of wish it would just chill out. Yeah, yeah, he is he is on a hundred and ten percent the whole time. There is no sense whatsoever, and and maybe there doesn't have to be of any kind of intimacy with him or his feelings. It is very much, as you said, a performance being projected towards the audience, not kind of a sharing of a musical, you know, a self-expression through music at, at all. Uh, yeah, he is. He's amazing. It's not, time, every now and then, he almost sounds like he's got a little bit of a cold. Yeah, he's willing to yeah. make kind of ugly sounds at times. Not all the time, but, but yeah, he will, his voice will get downright kind of grating. And I guess that's partially the price for doing all the experimental and daring and over-the-top yeah. things he wants to do, but it's a pretty heavy price to pay. Uh, maybe another way of putting it is he sometimes is less – I don't think he gives a shit about the words most of the time. And with a set of pipes like his, maybe why should you? I, he's more of a horn. His voice is a horn. And I, I don't think he cares about the meaning of – this is not Frank Sinatra feeling no, no, no. into the lyrics no, at all. No. I mean the words are an excuse for Giraud to do what he does, which is impress you with just the technical facility that he has to kind of go all over the place. And I, I, I don't want to shit entirely all over this. The man's confidence, gosh, it's enormous. I mean, his confidence is off. He's not afraid of anything. There's just there's not a moment here where you think he thinks, oh, I can't do that. Uh, You get the sense that that. no, or I shouldn't. Right? You get the sense (laughs) that he's like, is that note reachable? Hell yes! And and off he goes. Is that? Can I sustain that at that low level for thirty five seconds? Fuck yeah! He's all caps lock all the time. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And there's never any doubt. So you are in the hands of a confident, confident performer, probably at the peak of his powers. It's just it's a little bit like a hurricane sometimes, you know. Yeah. And I would say I, I don't think it'd be fair to say that he's hectoring in the sense that no, he's a no. one note Tommy who's just uh, obsessing about a certain tonal register. I think he is pretty fluid. He's all over the place. But, yeah, he's always, as you said, performing. He's never settling into a melody for the melody's sake or or making his task expressing the melody in a kind of fairly straightforward and honest way is more showing what he can do with the melody's launching pad. Same with the words, right? He's not trying to kind of get across the songwriter's meaning. He's using the words as an occasion to kind of create his own fantasy structures out of them and that's you know one big problem i've always felt that jazz singers face is this pull between kind of musical creativity playing with 
harmonies and tones and and in improvised melody lines and then language you know what do you do do you just abandon it and scat nonsense syllables do you try to kind of incorporate phrases from the song in an improvisatory way do you make up your own lyrics what do you do about language because or do you ignore the meaning of it or try to convey the meaning of it if you're just sticking to trying to kind of sell the song are you really a jazz singer you know you could ask somebody like a billy holiday she doesn't make up lyrics much she doesn't to scat on the other hand when she's through with a melody she's altered almost every note in it so i mean is that jazz or is it not it's you know it's this paraphrase it's not necessarily pure improvisation so i yeah i Jerome's definitely at the, the far end of the spectrum in this recording of just kind of language as a toy to play with yeah rather than something to convey meaning or feeling and he's having a grand old time with it and if, than, if the audience reaction is anything to be judging by they're having a great time too. They're entertained. Like everyone oh, yeah. is, he's, is he's, down with this program. You know? He is fucking entertaining. I mean, he's he's a show off that that earns it. I mean, he can yes. do it. Now he can't do it necessarily always in sound beautiful. I always thought that was one of the huge distinguishing characteristics of, of Parker. Charlie Parker is one. I mean, his improvisations were just better structured and more melodically interesting than most of his followers. But also, he could just play that fast without losing his tone and intonation. He still sounded great, whereas a lot of his imitators sounded vinegary, a little bit off pitch. It just wasn't a pleasant noise they were making as they attempted to play all these 16th note figures. And, you know, Jerome, sometimes he pushes himself hard enough that He's still executing, but as you said, there's a nasal sound or, you know, sometimes the almost a glottal kind of sense of a little uh, phlegm floating around in there every now and then just touches of it. Gets a little bit ugly sometimes. So, yeah, you know, he's not somebody who just an Ella Fitzgerald or somebody who can do these seemingly or Mel Torme to some degree, who's got this incredible flexibility, but also this kind of immaculate control and tone. Yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it pretty well. It, you have to take it on the level of entertainment. And it's a weird melange in that it's, you know, the first few songs I thought, well, this guy really isn't a jazz singer. I mean, it seemed yeah. to me like what he was doing were the elaborations I tend to associate with gospel singing. Not that mm-hmm. that's bad or wrong or invalid or anything else, just not really in the jazz tradition of kind of making up lines from whole cloth. And there were some later songs where, you know, Take Five, It'd Be One, where it's like, okay, well, there it seems like more he's kind of in the jazz tradition of, creating a new line rather than uh, doing these amazing pyrotechnic elaborations on an existing melody. Kind of a, I, I don't know that I could define my way out of it, but I feel like you kind of know it when you hear it. They're both enjoyable, well done and invalid, I'm, you know, but, but there's something that seems to me different in kind by the kind of gospel elaborations and melisma from scatting. I, I just, they're, they're related. They don't seem quite the same somehow. I, I, you know, I don't know that I could define that. And so it's, yeah, there's a lot of that, a lot of the kind of soul stuff. But what he doesn't do as a soul singer is sell his sincerity. You never right. feel like it. Al's not trying to get you into bed. He's trying to impress the fuck out of you. <laughs> right. You're like, you're like, but I, I, I want to take my panties off. He's like, no, check this out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it'd be panties, Mike. I, maybe. I, I don't know. But whatever the underwear what, is. What, whatever he or she is wearing. Exactly. Uh, it's staying on. They're ready, because... they're ready to go. And he's like, no, wait, watch me do a handstand. You know? Yeah, you're, you're sitting down. You're finally just like, okay, I'm just going to smoke my cigarette now because <laughs> after I'm done listening I'll, to I'll be I'm here. I'll be here when you're done. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, it is. It's, it's very, it's not fair to call it masturbatory, but, but it's, yeah, it's not about an intimate relationship he's trying to build with an audience. It's about a performance. Which, you know, I... I 
I liked, I, again, I not really listened to Al. I don't think I'm going to look up his apparently more commercial ballads, the sappier stuff that, that many of his followers say kind of increasingly dominated his output for many years after this. But kind of interesting to hear it. And my God, yeah, he's a monster. Maybe he needs some taming. I don't know. Well, we've now listened to an Al Jarreau album. And yeah. uh, Mr. Jarreau passed, and that's our nod to him. And I think, you know, as as a jazz singer, he certainly was equipped to have made that a career if he wished. It He was, I think, more interested about the intersection of jazz with, with pop and with gospel and, and with soul music and was not somebody who wanted to kind of just pursue that particular line. And but, interestingly, not that I take iTunes as any arbiter, but his is the only album that comes up in genre on iTunes, on my iTunes, as jazz. Everything else we listen to comes up as something different. Well, well, and, you know, of these recordings, yeah, you might argue that he yeah. is closest. He is the most adventuresome, and um, he, he pushes, he's furthest from just trying to deliver a pleasant melody right. of these people, and the most creative and ambitious I'm looking for a word that means uh, shameless, I guess. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, it's least inhibited. You know, he's he's just going to take things to outer space. Well, where do you want to go next here with our handful of I don't care. I'm, I'm equally. That's not quite true. One of these things is not like the other. You decide. OK, well, maybe we should go to that oddity. I, in certain ways, none of them are like the other, but but I wasn't sure what we were going to get with this uh, production by this Japanese trumpeter and DJ. And I, I guess I wasn't sure from your description of it whether it was did involve vocals, and it, it doesn't. This is an instrumental album. Probably got the most spins in the last two weeks because it's the kind of thing I could play in the background if I was at work. Um, And and it's a little bit less demanding. And I'd say that I found it pleasant, but it wasn't something that demanded my attention all that often. Uh, I guess this is somebody new to both of us, right? Yep. New to me. Uh, I was grateful to the student, yay Jamie, for throwing this at me. But yeah, uh, you know, the, the the biggest analog for me is Kondo is going to remind a lot of people of late era Miles Davis, I think. He's a cleaner player than Davis is, but like Davis, he's interested in, at least on this outing, he's interested in links between what he can do and what, say, someone who's going to use turntables and uh, repeated riffs from R&B, sort of lay, lay down sort of electronic grooves. He's interested in, in checking out that intersection. So it reminded me a lot of late-era Miles albums like Aura, although that's not an electronica album, or Miles' furtive attempts to grapple with hip-hop at the very end of his career. Yeah, like Doobop. You know? That's like one of the exactly. very few Miles Davis albums I do not own. Um, yeah. And and so this is a lot of atmospheric electronic washes over usually some kind of groove or beat, again, no doubt electronically produced. And then Kondo's playing over that, sometimes occasionally 
I guess he's multi-tracked. There are other trumpets, it sounds like, mm. but it's mostly just him noodling. I would say not entirely meaninglessly. I'd say the the noodling is relatively engaged. I don't get the sense that he's like a listless or dull player. It's just he's kind of down with the whole groove thing. So when 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 the cuts, when the tracks have a more upbeat tempo, like say Fuyu. And they all have Japanese names, right? So we're going to sound racist, but they all the names are all like Fu Yu, Mu Chu, Shoka. On some of the more upbeat numbers, he's a little more upbeat in his playing. His horn is treated with an enormous amount of echo most of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if him and Jason Adashevitz got together and played, it would just be like echo, 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 echo. So I enjoyed this, but like you, I felt it was comfortable as background music. Like, I wasn't often forced to sit up and attend closely to this. It was pleasant in an undemanding way. If this is one of the ways that jazz is going to use hip-hop, cool, fine, but I don't feel like this is a trailblazing path forward. I think it's an interesting cul-de-sac, maybe, but I don't feel like this is transformative in, in any sense. Maybe that's just me and my narrow views. I like hip-hop. I think plenty of hip-hop is dead fascinating. But part of what makes hip-hop compelling is uh, the verbal dexterity over repeated grooves. And when you take out the words, you take out a lot of what makes hip-hop hip-hop. So when it's just a groove, a beat synthetically created, and then you play jazz trumpet over that, it's interesting, but it doesn't quite make up for the engagement one gets with clever wordplay and clever lyrics. So yeah. that's that's kind of what's missing for me here. Kondo's fine. And on this outing, I'm interested to hear what he sounds like in his own avant-garde jazz context. Like I heard enough here to make me want to hear him in another in another place. And that's it kind of my take on this. I mean, I, I wish in a way, especially because of the background. So this is an almost 20 year old album. And I think to someone who is not like me, I, I am not a connoisseur of this kind of music. I don't find it shocking or disturbing or dislike it. It's just something that I have not, I haven't listened to a thousand examples of this kind of thing. So to me, the background sounds kind of generic and kind of old in a weird way. You just, you know, right. just, that these beats seem like they may have been of the moment 20 years ago, and they now seem a little bit dated. And this is somebody who listens to 1940s jazz, so who am I to say? And in a sense, I guess the advantage of listening to these older forms of music is you kind of the conventions are long gone. They're no longer accepted widely. And then you have the luxury of looking at the production from that period and saying, well, now with hindsight, I can tell that this is a really good example of this. And I feel like this is lasting music. And that was of its time and in the genre, but not not great. And I, I don't think I've got that kind of perspective on this music to say with any kind of definitiveness, the backgrounds aren't that creative. To me, they sound perfectly fine, but they aren't very surprising and it feels like I've heard them before, and, you know, they're not unpleasant. There's nothing wrong with them, but I don't feel like they're doing anything that interesting or challenging rhythmically or texturally. 
and you know the playing kind of fits in there. I think it would have been fascinating to hear somebody playing atonally and harshly and against the grain of these beats. That might have been pretty cool, but but he seems to be kind of integrating himself on them and, and commenting and, as he said, noodling over them. And the result is pleasant. It's not revelatory, but this music works as, as a kind of background. But I, I don't feel that he's inspired by these backgrounds to make really interesting musical lines or comments on them. And I feel like the dominant story is a very straightforward rhythmic bed that is... It's like this is a condiment on it to make it a little bit tastier, but it's not the meat. His soloing is not in and of itself a standalone product that that has a lot of intrinsic interest. It's more like this layer of echoey trumpet playing pleasant riffs over, you know, that fit well with this background makes it more interesting and nicer, but by themselves aren't that great or that interesting. So yeah, I, I guess we're kind of in agreement on this. It's it's neat. It's it's not shocking. I've, I've certainly heard a lot further out attempts to meld these worlds, and I think it's fine to try to do it. But I wish the beats had been more interesting and challenging and surprising, and I wish the playing had been a little bit more off the leash, I guess. Or that there had been some vocals added to give this a little more tension and bite. Yeah. You know, because yeah. that's kind of what's missing here. There are some sort of feathery they sound like background chorus vocals, mm. but they're not words. They're just sort of, wow. Maybe so, the grandbabies yeah. and the synthesizers from Al Jarreau's album. <laughs> Something. Yeah, you know, that would have been a hell of an album. Al Jarreau, Toshinori Kondo, and DJ Crush. Their lives overlapped. The three of them could have played together. Sure. Now, see, that would have been an, a monstrously fascinating album because Al would have been like, you know, he would have been scatting over, what the fuck are we doing? You know, <laughs> they're going to force everyone to up their game, you know? Absolutely. Um, Here, um, yeah, this is, I don't want to make it sound like elevator music because it's not, but it is two or three cuts above elevator music, but it's similarly not insistent on pressing itself on your consciousness. It's just that if your consciousness does devote itself to this, it'll enjoy it. It's just that it doesn't have to. <laughs> Let's say you're at a convention center if this was playing on the speakers, no one would be shocked. It, exactly. It, it would be okay. It might be a little odd, but right. be okay. Uh, the, the conventioneers would not be running in terror. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I One thing I've decided about hamburgers, to go on a tangent, is that I like hamburgers that have a couple interesting flavors. I don't want 47 things on my burger. This could have used another layer of something. It was a little bacon. Too, another player, another some other element. It was just a little under underdone. There, mm. one, like I said, a voice would have been great. Al Jarreau would have been interesting, but or just another horn or something. The two of them, they, they make effective music together, but I, I, the the content was not layered enough, or I don't know, inventive enough by itself. I think that more would have actually helped in this case. Uh, sure. Yeah, and again, maybe it would have made it less successful. Mood music, it, it would have demanded a little bit more work from the listener, but I'm, I'm up for it. I think that this demands too little work, at least from somebody that's really into music, to kind of fixate on it very long. But thank you. All right. that, so here, let's, pl- let's play a game after each one of these. You okay. tell me what genre iTunes labels this without playing with your computer. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Electronica? Would be my exactly. Favorite. Exactly. Okay. Correct. Well 
Well, I don't done. know. I would have guessed Jazz for, for Al Jarreau. No, I wouldn't have either. Uh, although, you know, I'm not offended by that label. I'm like, okay, I can see it. You yeah. know, but I'm glad they didn't go Jazz here. You know, that they call this electronic. I'm like, that sounds about right. I was like, maybe it was the '90s where I got some discount four CD set of ambient music, and I, I, I convinced myself it's time to take electronica seriously. And I found a couple of groups one that I like better. And there are some examples of the genre uh, that I do, you know, I enjoy. It's not that, again, I think it's it's just invalid music or something because it uses electricity. No, not at all. But yeah, a lot of it is pretty fucking boring. I, I guess I just don't need music to be quite that simple or dull uh, in my life for the most part. This this was fine, but yeah, not not thrilling. Just a quick warning, if you can't take snark and don't want to hear our dissection of Robert Glasper's new album, scroll ahead to about minute 54. Okay, well, uh, wow, do we save... Let's, let's save. end on a higher note. Let's end on a higher All note. All right, so okay. Let's go to Bob. Let's okay. Let's go to Bob Let's get this over with. Prepare for some art science, bitches. Snap on your snark filter now. <laughs> if you have one, turn your snark filter to 11, because Pat and I are about to lay down some snark. This is not going to be pretty. So, my, did you like this album? <laughs> what did you think of it? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so, on one of the songs on here, and I don't know which one it is, one of the songs, I forget, the song has someone saying my people invented oh the very first song yeah my people invented all these forms of music over the last 150 years we we're we we're creative and i'm like okay that's fine own it that's cool could you have put any of those styles on this album robert <laughs> what the fuck well so the opener to art science this this album from 2016 is called nothing to fear or we this is not fear this, this is, is not, not fear. fear and yes. so it opens as It's a burner. It opens It opens right. as a jazz burner. And, and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, this is going to be good. And, and that's all you get, people. That's the last good song. It opens with a piano riff, and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, this is, this is the Robert Glasper I've wanted to hear. This this is, almost, I want to hear this guy. It is not miles removed from a Greg Osby jam or a, yeah. uh, probably closer to Greg Osby than a Steve Coleman, but 
Yeah, kind of yeah. post post bop, fairly intense, and, it, and it's at a ferocious jazz. pace. I yeah, mean, yeah. it opens. You're just like, holy shit! This is the opener. This is going to be fun. And you then know? he brings up that quote, and then urinates on the listener for the next forty five minutes. It's just like, enjoy oh, my golden God. shower of crap. So this apparently, the way I've seen it reviewed, is saying that whereas the Black Radio series brought in various guest artists. This is a band effort where Glasper or somebody else in the band, and I'm using air quotes here, sings the various numbers, and they, they're they kind of producing this music as a unit without outside aid. Wow. This is what happens when a band crawls up their own asshole. This is why you need a producer. So the producer can come in and say, the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, this is a bad... I'm sorry, we don't say this very often, and... Glasper's a fine musician with a lot of technique, but this is a bad album. It's as if someone listened to early Britney Spears and all the music back then uh, about 12 years ago when autotune was rampant everywhere over beats. And it's like someone heard that and said, you know what? That's the future of jazz. And it's not the future of pop, much less jazz. It's like such a fucking bad choice. There's no, there's, after that first song, it feels to me like there's almost no jazz content here. This is a flat out neo soul. It could be Drake droning on about his fucking cars. And I've listened to some Drake and I hate Drake. So (laughs) I I know whereof I speak. I hate the, I just, sorry, I don't hate this album, but it really bugs me because I just feel like why, why am I listening to this? This, this could be any anodyne r&b neo soul singer of the last 10 years why is robert glasper doing this i don't understand i I just it just it's it feels like slumming in the worst way you know i I mean if you're going to do the auto-tune do something with it as opposed to i mean let's let's be honest auto-tune is just another form of technology right it's a way of doing clever cute things to the voice okay you're a jazz musician. You live on improvisation, on this massive encyclopedic vocabulary of musical forms and ideas that you've inherited. And the entire idea behind jazz is to take it and make it new and, and start over again and find new ways to do things with old forms. So why take the auto-tuner and reproduce Neo Soul from 2001? They did that already. Why, why are you doing it again? Do something else with it. Like, use the auto-tuner to blow the fucking studio up, for God's sakes. Play your piano that's what into gets, it or something. I mean, just, you That's know, what gets different. on my nerves. You know, I'm not against auto-tuner simply because of, of what it is. It's a form of technology. Technology is neither good nor bad. It's just that when it's deployed in this anodyne, desiccated, played-out way, I sort of feel like, well, what the fuck, man? Come well, on. And you better than this. I mean, I, I can imagine Thundercat using it once as a joke because he was high exactly exactly but yeah Cher popularized the the great singer and philosopher Cher uh, releases a song called believe in 1998 october 19th and by october 20th everybody was fucking sick of it yeah i know well the whole point was autotune was originally just meant as a way of correcting the pitch of singers who missed a pitch. It's called the I'm Not Ella Fitzgerald filter. And then they realized if you really cranked it up, you got this otherworldly strange sound, and it became, very briefly, the sound of the moment. But that moment was 1998. 
It was not 2016. And or, you know, the first couple oh, of years of the 21st century. I know. Yeah, sure. I it mean, t- it, once, once that trailblazer share left it behind, <laughs> you know, it took, you know, another five years for it to play its way through the culture. But then it, it played its way through the culture. So, like I said, I don't have a beef with using autotune in and of itself. It's just, what are you going to do with it? It's just another form of technology. So are you going to transform it? Are you going to make something new out of it? Or are you just going to do what's been done 15 years ago? If so, why don't I just download Cher illegally on the internet and listen to her? What what am I listening to you for? Yeah, well, again, we want to emphasize, it's not that that Glasper's group uses auto-tune on a song in this blatant way. It's he uses it on every fucking yes. song on the album, except the opener, just again and again. And he uses it in exactly the same way yep. with pop songs that seem to have been written to make you stupider as you listen to them. They're just kind oh. of embarrassing. I, they're not, I mean, they're catchy enough. I don't think they're badly crafted at that level. The lyrics are just slightly developmentally disabled and wow i mean there's just nothing there it's not like he's trying to raise your consciousness and failed it's like he's trying to get into your pants but you laughed at him so hard he gave up i just there is there is as on art science i think it was on not on art science on black radio or maybe i'm thinking of akamusri it's i'm thinking of akamusri there is one song on here i forget which one it is it might be tell me a bad time story where we get a little girl's voice and I'm assuming that's the Herbie Hancock tune, which... No, it's not that one. It's not. Maybe okay. it is. Okay. It's one of the songs where a little girl is talking about the polices, and the polices uh, yeah. are bad, and I want just a weekend where the polices are nice. And look, I'm I'm down with the Black Lives Matter movement. Th- that track is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment for that movement. It trivializes the issues in a way that doesn't make anyone feel better it's just a bad track i wish i could remember which one it is but i've tried to forget so much of this album it's some little girl some little girl's voice and i don't even i think she's got a script because no one could be that precocious and obnoxious at the same time it's it sounds fake everything about that song maybe it's human the very last number i just yeah i want to blow something up when i hear it i just (laughs) And I props for not into Herbie Hancock with Tell Me a Bedtime Story. Right. And it's it's a populist work to some degree. It is the kind of thing that you could play that would not scare somebody at a dinner party, but there's depth to it. But boy, that's not what Glasper's done here. He has not created something that has a populist facing attitude that nonetheless smuggles in a lot of interesting musical ideas and improvisation or exploration or just philosophizing in terms of the lyrics i feel like this is just largely dumb music there are there are flashes of good improvisation we're not saying these guys can't play they absolutely can and what that like i said play a piano solo and auto-tune that i want to hear i've never heard that I've that'd heard be interesting vocals i'm assuming part of the issue may be that the guys in this group just can't fucking sing and that's possible i i don't know i mean typically this is a problem as we talked about the prog rock if, if you get a group together of great instrumental musicians the odds that one of them is also a really great vocalist are pretty fucking slim and right. so many of the art rock bands that we remember or have never experienced from the 70s that's a problem the vocals tend to be the weak link and one of the innovations of radiohead was a art band where the vocal was a, actually very very strong <laughs> that just that that was kind of their special sauce that they brought to 
you know, the kind of Pink Floyd pastiche that was, yes, uh, what was it? The robots, the one that was so famous. OK, computer. It was not yes, yeah. the robot. It was OK, computer. I was close. I've had. Some and, the, you know, the problem is if there is a problem here, I don't want to sound like some sort of stick up my ass jazz traditionalist because I like a lot of stuff that's out there and I like a lot of noise. But you can read on the Internet the reviews of this thing and people are orgasming all over themselves about this album. And I can only think that the reason they're doing it is that they aren't jazz aficionados in any profound sense. Pitchfork loves this album. The LA Times loves this album. In you know? their defense, if you're putting this album on, you better be orgasming all over yourself because you won't be with another person. It's Probably not. not. I, I mean, so in other words, this is all about the crossover, right? This is crossover oh, well, music, yeah. crossover music, crossover music. And the people reviewing it are people who aren't from where it done crossed over. And so what makes me maddest about this, Robert Glasper, I'm talking to you. What makes me maddest about this is it makes me sound like one of those fucking assholes who bitched about Miles going fusion in the 70s. And I don't want to sound like one of those assholes, but I think it's fair to say that not every time jazz embraces the pop music idiom that it's doing a smart thing. And I don't think this is a smart thing and I don't think it's entertaining and I don't think it's moving or interesting I think it's an easy way out, and I'm just yeah. mad that he makes me sound like one of those anti-Miles fusion freaks because I liked it when Miles, I like it in other times when Jazz has reached out to other stuff, and I hate that he makes me sound like Wynton Marsalis right now. That bugs me the most. Well, it, Miles doing Dark Magus is not anything fucking like this. Now, if Miles had released an album of Mamas and Papas covers, maybe. Right. This is not, I don't think, this is not really, there are moments of improvisation. And the first track has little relation to the rest of this record, and it's it's improvisation. I don't mind pop. The, the problem with this album, it, it certainly has got nothing to do with jazz for the most part. Fine. Maybe he wants to become a pop musician. Fine. Be a good one. I mean, that that's, write good lyrics, write interesting melodies, create arrangements that have varied and compelling textures with at least some tiny whiff of originality, put the fucking auto-tune away on at least some of the tracks, and fine, you know, you're a pop musician now, congratulations, but guess what? If that was a really easy job, everyone would do it. It turns out it's not. turns out that writing interesting, compelling music that doesn't make you feel like you've been lobotomized is not a gift everybody has, and I see no evidence that it's a gift he or his bandmates have. They just, they aren't very good at this. Now, I will say a couple of the melodies kind of stuck with me the way a venereal disease might. And so that is not, I, I don't feel like the, the melodies or the construction of the songs fell apart in an inept way. It's just that the lyrics were so, wow, lowest common yeah. denominator. And, and the incessant auto-tuning seems so 1998 to a degree that I don't think, I don't think Cher's album, which I will admit I have not heard, every song on it was like that. I right. just... Well, and you know what? What's also wow. irritating is that even when he has a song, and some of the songs here are quite long, so no one like you comes in at nine minutes, nine oh. and a half minutes. And if you took out the five minutes of vocals and just left left it with that wonderful soprano saxophone solo somewhere near the first third, you'd have a hell of a good song, right? But it's like once the solo goes away, we get we get back to three minutes of auto-tuned oh. nonsense again. And I'm like, why is that there? Why do you need that? Glasper has said, he's, he's said 
that he is like a Miles fan. And he said that the way Miles approached music influences how he approaches music, that Miles took what was going on today and used that. Miles didn't take what was going on 15 years ago, though. You want to take what's going on now? Yeah. I mean, and, and, surely there's something you can take on that's going on now that's new. And you're not going to say time after time in human nature. Those were not, to me, Miles' most compelling performances. That said, there was more alchemy going on with them, and I don't think that was the strongest period of his career by any stretch. And those songs during concerts or on the albums were not, there was a mix. There were other more challenging pieces next to them. There is nothing remotely challenging on this. It is, as you said, out of date. And, it, yeah, it just doesn't seem very good. To, to, to summarize, Lord, it wasn't that good. So, yeah, and like I said, yeah. I'm just angry that it makes me sound like an asshole who well, hates I, anything new or who hates neo-soul, who this, hates hip-hop. I don't. Not, I like this. Uh, right. But yeah. this is... God, this is not that. It's not that he's broken some kind of genre rule or betrayed the ancestry of jazz or anything. None of that shit. It's just it's not very good. I mean, that's nothing. You're not supposed to like bad music for the sake of being open minded. I I just don't think it works. And as I said, if he can make interesting pop music that I like his best as, as well as the pop music I'm fond of. And of course, I'm not the audience he's looking for. And maybe he did. I don't know whether any of these songs hits. I hope so. Because I I'm sure they probably did, did because Blue Note is bankrolling all of this. He's a Blue Note mainstay. So Blue Note, perhaps, maybe Robert Glasper's moving units is enabling Blue Note to produce other stuff. So fine. Robert Glasper sell a million By units. By the way, his, his, new, his new group is Robert Glasper moving units. Block the experiment. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I like the Robert Glasper moving units. We'll be here in a moment. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, so if he moves a million units and enables someone else well a million to... would fucking shock me but yeah it's right yeah, it's kind of more mor but i don't well, he's 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 connected to the lamar kendrick stuff you know he or kendrick lamar i mean so he you know he's got his feet in those camps and he's produced non-jazz albums and by all accounts he's a smart good producer and i believe it I you think know he curated there was a miles davis fantasia auto not auto uh biopic that hmm. kind of was about him coming out of the the, the uh dark days of the late 70s i think and robbing some master tape I, it, a really bizarre kind of take on miles davis's life i think glasper was the one who curated the soundtrack to that mm. but yeah it, it's just not and again i mean anything kendrick lamar has done is one single track by him is more creatively interesting than any this whole album yeah just period it, it, it's more challenging there's more going on in it the lyrics are more intelligent and intense it's it's just every single track I've ever heard by Kendrick Lamar, any single one of them is better than this album. And True Confession, I listened to it through once, and that was it. I just could not make myself listen to this. I, I did dip into the songs occasionally, you know, because you want to do it justice. But at some point, I'm like, you know, that's I just can't. I, I'm sorry if I'm missing some hidden depths here. I, I I took that risk, but I cannot make myself listen to this multiple times. I just couldn't do it. I'm a bad man. On the other hand, no doubt you found it possible to listen to Somi more than once. They say you must be Please don't wake me if I'm dreaming 
sure. Yeah, you know. Let's turn to Somi. Let's turn to a brighter, happier day. She's a smooth operator. And that's now, not entirely okay. fair. I'm going to say, come on now. Come on now. So, for those of you who are younger, we're referring to this <laughs> recording artist named Charday, who was a big deal in kind of, I don't know, the late 80s, early 90s. And this, He's I think, probably, recorded sporadically since probably then. Probably sold more albums, more albums, more albums to like weird BDSM fans because they thought her name was Sod and thought there that there was go. some sort of, <laughs> thought there was some sort of, you know, weird whips and chains thing going on. But it turned out uh, her name is spelled for the kids out there who don't know these things. Her name, Charday's name is spelled S A D E as in the Marquis de, except it's pronounced Chardet. And if you've heard her, she sounds like Chardet, not Assad. You know, so as soon as you hear Chardet, she's wonderful. She's fantastic. Even if you don't like that kind of music, you'll like her. Almost, so. almost parodic to the degree of a kind of a loungy jazz lifestyle singer who is still fun. And, and some of the songs are quite good. The whole thing is a little feels a little bit like a put on, and it was you know kind of a big deal with adult contemporary listeners. And she sustained a career pretty well, and apparently is kind of a mother figure to all the people that have been in her band, and is very loyal and very likable, and just a strange anomaly on the landscape. As I remarked right. when I was talking about our friends Madness a few weeks back, right, uh, right. they have a track on one of their later albums that's kind of a Chardet ripoff. And there's a sense of, I don't know, the motif of the, the cool, alluring, exotic singer yes. talking about exotic locales, talking about money and sex in a lightly accented voice with, uh, as I said, kind of loungy, groovy backgrounds that some tracks from this release we're talking about now, what is it, the Lagos Music Salon? Mm-hmm. I think fit in that genre. Others are more inventive or, or uh, challenging. Yeah. I would say that um, she has a little more giddy up in her horse than Chardet does. Not that Chardet, uh, let me put it a different way. Chardet is phenomenally talented, phenomenally talented. So this is not a diss at Chardet. It's just that Somi, and I hope I'm saying her name right, that it's not like Chamay or something, but I hope <laughs> I'm saying, you know, I didn't look it up. So it looks like Somi, S-O-M-I. So that's how I'm saying it. If I have it wrong, please don't send your people to kill me. But Somi has a little Cecile McLaurin Salvant in her. She's She's got some playfulness and some energy and some intensity that she brings whereas Chardet is always laid back and always right, smooth. Yeah. She will and push Somi, Right. Somi will push and she's willing to so I, I, I th- I'm going to guess I like this a little bit better than you do. She's willing to push sometimes in ways that Cecile does but not to excess. She's she's like on the, she errs on the side of caution whereas Cecile McLaurin Salvant just balls out all the time and and sometimes the experiments, you're like, really? <laughs> really? Was that a good idea? Whereas Somi, her experiments seem designed to serve the material, which means to say that she's less exa- she's less adventurous than Salvant. And so the highs are lower, but the lows aren't as low either. I mean, this is a pretty good album from beginning to end, as far as I can tell. I guess in that between stylization and sincerity, exactly, she is a little more emotionally direct and sincere yes. whereas Salvant I, you know as we discussed her work the trolley song <laughs> is yeah you know she's a little bit of the Algero school in a certain way I think she's yeah. a more amazingly talented vocalist I mean Jerome's no amazing but, but yeah, Salvant no is kind of a, a comet in, in terms of what she can yeah. do with her voice but yeah you don't not somebody who is building the illusion, perhaps, with the audience that you are privy to her innermost feelings, more of a performer at arm's length. 
using ironic guises and playing rather than trying to kind of earnestly or not express herself, quote unquote. And I realize that, yeah, some singers who are expressing themselves might be themselves doing a kind of performance. It's just a subtle one that, again, creates at least an illusion of intimacy with them and their feelings and a kind of illusion, at least, of transparency. And yeah, more of that here. There are times in this album that I, it's a weird thing. She is from originally, I believe, her background is African. Right. But grew up in Chicago, I think. Yeah. So she goes to Africa and brings back this music. And let me put it this way. If a white lady had done this and was singing some of these songs, she would be crucified. Can you imagine someone sure. singing African oh, yeah. man? Minnesotan woman, come on here, bring your bland food to me. You know, I mean, is it is it okay to sing about the African man? Is that just too generic? Is it a little condescending? There are moments of this album that sounded to me like cultural tourism, even though she's rocking that outfit on the and she's got that background. And are you I, saying that Somi is advancing her musical career through cultural appropriation? Man. Is that possible? Could someone have done that? Yeah, I do. What, what do you think? I, do, I, were there I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think, I think that is – I think that's not an unfair – well, let's put it this way. Well, it's unfair to the degree that she's lived there. She spent time there. She's not – this is not – what's his name? Paul Simon stealing Lady Smith, Black Mambazo's right. riffs and going, hey, let's make pop music and let's make a billion. There's there's more Which, by the way, I like better. I think it's actually – I think it's more <laughs> successful, but, but – uh, And that is a cultural appropriation. It is. No absolutely. question. You know. um, so I, I think there's more investment on her part here in, in this people and in this music. And I like the idea. I think the, the album is winning, is winningly titled Music Salon because a salon is like a place where people can come and meet. And it's a place, you know, of hybridity and crossover. And that's kind of what she herself is. So I kind of liked that. I didn't I don't feel like she's quite a cultural tourist the way that if you or I had done this, we'd be cultural tourists for sure. Not if I went to Minnesota. Not if you went Minnesota to Minnesota. Woman. Oh, I have. Well, I have something to say about you later. Go ahead. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I have something for you, Mister. Anyway, go on. Do. So I think I probably like this a little bit better than you. And and I didn't. Again, this is a very pleasant record. I think it's accomplished. Yes. I think she's a fine vocalist. She is a more yes. ambitious and and I think technically talented vocalist than a Charday. Though I enjoy Charday very much and think she's great at what she does. And. The music is extremely accomplished. I don't know that I often felt that there were moments in this music that were purely about music or quote-unquote jazz. I felt a lot of it was very accomplished, uh, smoothly put together background for her for her vocals. And I, you know, I don't dislike pop music. It's not, I'm not again. This is not a criticism. I'm just saying that if you're looking for a record that has a lot of jazz content or a sense of someone working interactively and creatively and unpredictably with a band. This is not where you want to turn. They come round often Yet nothing softens No one smiles She calls But I just, yeah, some of the songs, I, I felt a little bit like, I know you visited there, and I know that your ancestry's there, but wow, I just, I don't know. I, I And it, the thing to remember is that there's race and ancestry, there's also class, 
and economics and a lot of other factors and it just yeah it just some of the stuff seemed a little bit and and some of the you know ginger me you know the right the kind of erotic do this and it i guess i've been watching this show called murder in paradise it's one of the 10 billion yeah english detective shows yeah. and, and the and the thing here is this guy goes to an island that's I, I guess uh, somewhat like Jamaica, it's not, but, but that kind of island paradise. But he's British. He always wears a three-piece suit, and he misses his tea, and he just wishes he was back in England where it rains all the time. Hates the environment, and he's working with this police force of all attractive locals, including this gorgeous woman, right? And, and they're trying to get him to loosen up, and he's just solving mysteries the old-fashioned Miss Marple way. And yeah, at one level, you're like. The symbolism is just kind of blunt there. It's right. He's the uptight but extremely rational Englishman, you know, wearing a suit. And they are the natural, more laid back, pleasure loving, quote unquote, natives. And it's like, wow, this is I mean, black actors have work. That's good. You know, but but it's a little bit like, wow, these cultural cliches are really kind of getting deployed here in a way that's a little blunt. And I felt like some of that was going on in this record. It just Again, I, I'm not trying to accuse her of exploitation or inauthenticity or not feeling what she's singing about or not caring. I don't think it's the case. I think this is earnestly meant. It's just a little bit like, you know, African man or explaining the lives of these African women. And I'm like, I, I guess I'd be more interested to hear from one of them if that's the goal, to understand what life is like in this place. And again, some of the kind of romantic exoticism like Ginger Me, I felt like, you know, there's certain cultural signifiers of that, that island accent or the exotic accent and the background music and sensuality, right? We associate those things not with Minnesotans, but with people from exotic tropical climates, maybe rightly. But yeah, some of those kind of cliches seem to be running through some of this record. I don't know. It didn't make me hate it. I think it's very accomplished. I think it's a likable record. Liked it a fuck ton more than I liked art science. But anyway, I'm going to uh, go out. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. I actually liked. I thought Ginger Me Slowly was terrific. I really liked that song in part because unlike so many of our pop singers today, and I've been listening to some pop, listen to Beyonce's Lemonade, which is actually pretty smart and pretty good but also some britney spears you know i've been just sort of digging in a little bit to pop music to sort of see what's there and what i love about somi is she's sincere there is some real engagement here some emotional openness in her songs that i find compelling so ginger me slowly i thought was sexy in a invested way i didn't think it was just she was performing sexiness ginger me Hello, talking pretty things. Oh, ginger me by candlelight and long walks by the lagoon. Ginger me with intellect and wine. Ginger me, boy, with kindness and cool. Yes. Ginger me slowly. Yes. Yeah. She really was like, hey, this is a this is a, a real song of seduction by an adult to another right, adult. a grown up. It is. It's a grown yes. up. So those of like us of a certain that. age appreciate that, right? It's not somebody in a schoolgirl uniform sucking a lollipop. It's somebody exactly. who, yeah. I'll I'll you to that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm interested in her now, and I'd like to hear more stuff by her. And this is not her first album. She's released a bunch of things already. 
Yeah. So she she has a growing discography. Um, yeah, so I'd like did, to hear more. Right. Yeah. She didn't strike me as an amateur or somebody who did not know how to put together a record or somebody who's flailing around. This is an accomplished recording. Yeah, she and knows it's on the OK doing. labels. That's that's sending a message. And I think her output is headed that direction. This is on OK. Her next album is on OK. And then she has a forthcoming album on Palmetto, which is a jazz label. And lo and behold, it's a live at the Jazz Standard album. Cool. So I, I want to hear that. I yeah, mean, I yeah. Because uh, no, no argument this woman can sing. And I enjoy her voice. It is. Yeah. It is a thing of beauty that one luxuriates in. It is, can you imagine Al Jarreau? Ginger me! Ginger me! Ginger me! Not slowly. Very, very quickly. Going to go through a lot of ginger, ginger at some quickly. point. Hurry, hurry. <laughs> I got some garlic too, Al. Here, look out. Here it comes. <laughs> oh, maybe it's because I spent so much of my life like chopping up little bits of ginger. Maybe that's my problem. Yeah, it, as I said, it, mainly my takeaway from it was very accomplished, very enjoyable, but I just a little dubious about some of these metaphors or images that kind of I'm not sure I buy into that. I'm not sure I'm as comfortable. I love to hear her not quite so thematically focused on on Africa. Yeah, uh, because as I said, a talented artist, somebody I like a lot. Yeah, some of the vocal moves are kind of Charday with a little bit more gas in the tank. I mean, she's not, yeah. and I, I must think Charday invented that stuff. That's kind of what popularized it for Idiot Me. I, I'm sure there's a long right. tradition of this kind of singing, but that's who I kind of think of. Yeah. Again, not a bad thing in and of itself either. I was listening to uh, Diamond Life because I thought, you know, I should listen to this again going into this podcast. And I did not, just because it's been kind of insane at my place of employment, and when I'm home, all I do is play Zelda, not listen to these as much maybe as I should have, but again, it's, it's with vocal albums often, I just feel like I kind of grok them or not more quickly than instrumental stuff. And uh, yeah, so I, but it wasn't a matter of just not liking it the way it was with Glass, but I'm like, I just can't listen to that again because I, I, I want to live and I might cut my wrist if I do. It just was more a matter of time management. So thanks for bringing it up because she was, again, somebody I knew nothing about. Thank all music and their ubiquitous lists of best stuff. Occasionally, I agree with them. I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. Uh, I, I want to hear more of her. I think she's yeah. worth watching. And, and if Glasper makes a fucking album where nobody sings or gets close to a microphone, let me know. I'd love to hear him as a player. Yeah. Uh, the next one, let's skip it and listen to her next one instead. I, that's well, my uh, you know, if we find out that it's more auto-tune crossover, hey, you know what? Let him move the units and keep Blue Note alive. And Absolutely. Yeah. If for every 10,000 units he moves, that enables them to bankroll someone like Somi. Awesome. Excellent. Keep keep doing it, Robert. That's that's yeoman's work you're doing. It's the work of God. That so marijuana, I strongly suspect that Don was is smoking in huge quantities, doesn't by itself. Back to the studio, Robert. <laughs> Papa right. needs his grass. All exactly. theory. I, allegedly. I really don't know, but Don was isn't smoking pot. The universe is slightly out of alignment, as far as I can tell.
Well, you you got any uh, other, I guess, pop music on your mind? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I do. So I've listened to three things. I've listened to three things recently, all of which I would like to bring your attention to. None of which you will like. Okay. um, Or at least none of which initially you're just going to laugh and mock me. So one of them I'm going to mock it too. So I I picked up David Crosby's least most recent album called Lighthouse solely on the strength of the fact that the guitarist or whatever he is in Snarky Puppy is the producer. That's right. He was like jamming with them or something. He was like into He's the, he was jamming into the with pop. David was, Crosby. Yeah. So, and my takeaway from David Crosby is he is, this is the only solo album of his I've ever listened to. Okay. So he's recorded, I don't know, 10 or 12 or 13 at this point. But I, of course, only know him through Crosby and Nash or Crosby, Stills and Nash or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And I got to say, my feeling, especially about his voice, is the sum is definitely fucking greater than the parts. Um, (laughs) As a single vocalist, I, I, you know, I'm like, he's nice. There's nothing terrible. And the lyrics aren't utterly jejune. But um I thought there'd be more there there on account of the snarky puppy connection. And it's just fine. It's, you know, it's a three star. It doesn't hurt you album. Nothing there I think is going to like blow anyone away. But if you're a snarky puppy fanatic, then you might want to pick this up and have a listen. Like I said, it's not painful, but it's not snarky puppy either. So it's it is what it is. I thought it was okay. Not very great. Two things, though, that I have listened to, one of which I'm going to make jokes about you uh, when I talk about it. So I've acquired two other things, also blasts from the past. Prepare yourself to be amazed. You can start your laugh track now if you like, Patrick. But I picked up Rick Springfield's most recent album, Rocket Science, from 2016. Did you use tongs or gloves? (laughs) Or how did you pick it up? So listen, what's the song that he's known for from back when we were teenagers? Girl. Jesse's girl. I he wish I like had Jesse's girl. Yeah, he he feels that Jesse's possession of Jesse's girl is inappropriate. He and would he rather would be like the one. Have... Yeah, where, where can you find a I woman like Jesse's that? Girl. I don't know, but but he didn't know either. So he, he is the answer to the question: What happens to laugh uh, pop idols who are laughed at? in their uh, prime, in their youth. And the answer is, well, they can sort of go one of two ways. And he apparently went the other way. So I was shocked to learn that Rick Springfield has continued to put out albums since the aforementioned Jesse Girl, Jesse's Girl single that made him oh so famous and no doubt wealthy. Um, so he's put out something like 12 or 15 albums. And Rocket Science is perfectly acceptable, actually pretty good, power pop which you would never pick up if you were a kid today because you don't know who he is and if you were an adult you wouldn't pick it up because you know you who he is yeah <laughs> you think oh this guy who did jesse's girl but if there was no name on it and you picked it up and you listened to it you would think well this is pretty craftsmanlike. this is reasonably well put together and, and the lyrics are not embarrassing and the lyrics in fact are cut like above a, embarrassing yeah he was like a soap opera actor and jesse's girl is is a cliched bit of pop from the it's, 80s it's but it's like not bad and, yeah. right and so you know it's not the a bad thing, song. Yeah, yeah. no so and i actually kind of like rick springfield and i'll tell you a story about him why i like him which is that on the cable show that david duchovny did after he left x-files californication 
that show is about a writer who does lots of drugs and has lots of sex named Hank Moody. And Duchovny plays the aforementioned Hank Moody. And in the course of his misadventures in L.A., he and his manager, who also does a lot of drugs on the show and, you know, has a, has a lot of illicit sex, they encounter Rick Springfield playing Rick Springfield. Yeah. Okay, and Rick Springfield plays himself as like a drug addled, pompous ass. And it's fucking hilarious. Like he's just all about the coke and the fans who give him blowjobs in the backs of limos. And he's just totally entitled. Like he plays he plays a parody of what I presume he's not like. Like you know, he's a seventies pop star who's completely entitled and completely self-indulgent and has a wildly inflated view of himself which is a fucking brilliant piece of irony if in fact that's not what he's like which i assume <laughs> he can't actually be like if that's what he's playing on the show that's but what he wants you to rick's, believe yeah i know yeah, that rick's, and, and on the show i mean he's so fucking funny because he's so i mean he's just so politically correct he's so obnoxious he's so sexist and mis- he's a troglodyte he's just a horrible human being and it's fucking hilarious because he goes all in on the, on the portrayal. He doesn't hold back like, what will this do for my career? He's like, fuck it. This is funny. And he just he's Rick Springfield, ubiquitous asshole. And he's incredibly funny on the show. So I was pleased as punch when I picked this up and listened to it and actually liked it. I thought, holy shit, this is not bad. And as I listened to it more, I was like, you know, it's better than not bad. I'm not going to say it's good, but. <laughs> It's not it's not it's more than not bad. It's it's just <laughs> under it's just under good and Flop definitely above for, not bad. More than there's not a, bad. <laughs> there's a couple of good songs on here that I was like, I'd like to hear that song many more times. Good deal. You know? Um so he's okay. he's got the power pop thing down from like the eighties and nineties. He sort of has it. And there's no auto tune anywhere. It's just well crafted power pop and it's really thoughtful for the most part you know none of the lyrics are genius but none of them it's like you know what when you do this for 30 years you know how to spot a cliche and you avoid them that's the voice of experience so maybe robert glasper could get rick springfield in on the next album to help him out with the whole lyrics thing i don't know just the thought robert if you're listening i'll bet rick is available i'll bet he is too and then finally I got and this is a little gem i think it's fucking fantastic 37 minutes long so first, you're already in, right? You're like 37 minutes. That's how long albums should be. By the way, Rick Springfield is 46 minutes. Just throwing that out there. Just just putting that out there for when you decide to go out and buy it for yourself, because I know you will. Absolutely, um, yeah. You're going to jump all over that. And then um, Crosby, of course, because it's David Crosby, is also only 41 minutes. Look at all these wise old men knowing what to do. So clocking in at 37 minutes, 13 songs, 37 minutes from 2016, Good times with an exclamation point by the monkeys. Okay. And I got I gotta tell you, I sort of picked this up as like a laugh, and it's actually got some very good music on it. So they got Michael Nesmith back for many of the songs, some of which he wrote. The second song is an Andy Partridge song called You Bring the Summer. And either Andy Partridge is the long lost monkey or the monkeys are the missing links to XTC because Mickey Dolan's singing this song just sounds utterly perfect. Like when you hear it, you hear the song, you're like, that's an XTC song, but that's not Andy Partridge. It's Mickey Dolan singing this, You Bring the Summer, and it is a fantastic pop song. I mean, it's just as good as anything Partridge has done, and it's ideal for uh, the monkeys, and it's right in Dolan's wheelhouse. It's a terrific song. 
Well, they had and, like, XTC had this side project. I've not heard this stuff, but it was like a, a parody or a homage to 60s flower pop called like the Dukes of Stratosphere. Uh, right. So he uh, definitely was dabbling in that kind of late 60s Summer of Love songwriting style as a member of XTC back in the day. He had the side project right. where, they, where they did that. So interesting that then he hooked up with one of the actual avatars of that music and, and, and produced music for them. That's kind of cool. It's just, yeah. it was kind of amazing because I, you know, I stopped it in and started to play it. And I remember I looked at the back and I'm like, oh, right, there's an Andrew Parker song on here. I wasn't paying any attention. Second song comes up and I'm like, oh, that's got to be the one he wrote. Like you hear it and you're like, oh, that's XTC. Like as soon as you hear it, you think okay. there's, oh, he's just got a signature. He's got a sound and they reproduce it. I mean, it's just, it's very well done. There's a Harry Nilsson song on here, which is a song that Dolans and Nilsson wrote like 30 years ago together (laughs) that is on here. And there are two songs on here by Michael Nesmith. And I've got I'm just a big fucking Michael Nesmith fan. And uh, one of them is called I Know What I Know. There's another song, I think, by him called Birth of an Accidental Hipster. (laughs) Very clever title. And then the best song on the album is this thing called Me and Magdalena, which is just a it's just one of these Mike Nesmith, you know, it's like from the school of Joanne. I mean, he's just he's really good at these you know, love ballads and it's fantastic. And they they knew it was fantastic. Apparently, when they went on tour last year and it was the last time Mike, Michael Nesmith was going to tour with them, they tended to close the concert every night with that song. It's like they knew when they recorded this album, they're like, and there's the single, right? Like it was that good. So my so I recommend this. I think you'll like it. I think it's actually quite good there's nothing bad on here and some things are extremely tight really clever um and it sounds like them there's even a song on here that was recorded by davy jones but they never released and so they re-record them around his vocal which is not bad of course it reminds you why no one really thought davy jones was much of a singer because he's not mickey dolan's is a far better singer if you ask oh, me yeah. but and he did a lot of it but yeah, the yeah. monkeys for younger people was a synthetic television pop group that was kind of the idea you're going to make a tv series out of a imitation of a hard day's night yeah and they eventually kind of asked for their own independence and got a lot of stranger the show they, itself they, was kind of strange yeah. yeah the show was uh, broke the fourth wall you know the show was revolutionary in its day a lot of jump cuts all sorts of craziness but they uh, also they recruited four guys you know davy jones was the guy who they picked because he was you know really cute and he was clearly the teen idol of the four but the other three actually could play instruments michael nesmith is he's not a great guitarist but he's a good writer and a tolerable singer and mickey dolans is a decent writer and singer he can play multiple instruments and peter tork the guy who was sort of like the on the show was the idiot of the group he, he plays everything he's one of those guys who can play like all the instruments so the band actually was when they finally said fuck this we want to play our own songs it made a lot of sense because they had the talent to do it they actually had the guys in the room and there's songs now that are like jazz standards that they recorded last train to clarksville for fuck's sake right you know? those I were mean, mainly they, they had really good writers uh, for, kind of in, in the old brill buildings uh, tradition that, yeah. yeah people were writing songs for them that were of pretty top shelf quality yeah, my memory is a year or two ago I was in a mall and they had this reasonably priced box of kind of just straight CD reissues of all their records. And I kind of looked at it and I thought about it and I said, I don't listen to the 20 greatest hits that often. I'm, I'm going to actually pass this one by. I've got my complete ABBA, but that's a whole different story. But but the monkeys, I, I'm not going to get. 
in high school, yeah, there's a one of the people in my circle was a huge monkeys fan, and we give her endless trouble. I, I respect them a lot more now. I, that was kind of the age when you weren't supposed to like pop music. I got over that pretty quickly. But yeah, it, it's a uh, it's a strange the, the, story. The, yeah. the Brill Building guys were Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, and they actually record one of their unrecorded songs on this album. So it's 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 better than average. I think it's okay. actually really a strong little piece of work. And here's the thing, the the bit about you. So I just I got on a little YouTube jaunt like you do. I wanted to see what Michael Nesmith looks like now and he looks like an old guy or whatever. I found an a, one of his appearances on the Letterman show and of the four, he he's the one who's gone on to the most success in just a whole bunch of ways as a video sort of a a pathbreaker on videos, music videos. People don't realize he's really, I don't want to say the inventor of the genre, but like a, a, a groundbreaking pathfinder in the idea of music videos. And also a, a movie producer in his own right. Um, what's that Alex Cox film? Repo Man. He, he, uh, he's involved in that and a few other pictures. So anyway, so I saw him on a, an episode of Letterman way back when Letterman was on NBC. And this is back in like 83 or something. And I was shocked by two things. I was shocked by the fact that Michael Nesmith sounds exactly like Pat, jazz bastard number one. <laughs> In terms of their vocal register, like okay. Mike Nesmith has, he's from Texas and you're from Indiana, but there is that Illinois, same slight. Oh, forgive, forgive me, forgive me. I always forget. Sorry, Illinois. Okay. I just okay. want to pretend you're from another state. Yeah, you're, but best, you're from yeah. you're you're from downstate Illinois. Let's Damn be straight. Clear. Damn straight. And you've got that ever so slight Midwestern twang lilt. It's not a Southern accent at all. It's just you've got that thing. You can hear it. And when I hear Mike Nesmith talk, I'm like, oh my fucking god, it's Patrick. And he has the same obnoxious, wry, combative sense of humor that you do. And the other thing that was amazing about this video is you have the same beard. Wow. Okay. He's like a video, really like, cool guy. I, I watched it. I was like, so awesome. Yeah. I'm like, now I understand why I have this love hate relationship with Mike Nesmith. He reminds me of my old roommate, Pat, you know, there you go. He's, he's pretty awesome. So look him up people. Obviously. I <laughs> just thought it was, I just, he, and it was the way the interview was. He was really sort of, he's feisty and combative. And it was, you could tell that he didn't want to talk about the monkeys at all. And Letterman was like afraid to even mention the word. And when he mentioned it, Nesmith's like, right, let's talk about that. You know, and he had this sort of, he's like, oh, by all means, let's discuss that. It was really, it's just, I just thought it sounded like you. It just sounded more like you than anything I've heard in a while. He's got right. more of a Southern twang than you do. But when it's, when his Southern isn't in, it sounds like you being pissed off at someone. I thought all right, that was cool. You Google it and tell me what you think. I'll have to do that. I don't have a lot to bring to the table. I do want to mention to our younger listeners that David Crosby is chiefly important for inspiring the line in the cake song rock and roll lifestyle your liver <laughs> suffers badly from magic various magic moments but rock on completely with some brand new components because i think it was crosby who got a liver transplant and um, it did more drugs than than you and i have had hot meals so. absolutely and uh rock and roll lifestyle is one of my favorite songs of all time it is angry and marxist and definitely it's worth a great song up. it's a great song yeah it didn't I've got a lot of interesting things in the queue. I didn't really get to um, a, a couple of non-pop matters just to glance at because we're not going to do another Kenny Wheeler album anytime soon. I did track down a used copy of Dear Juan, and I'd say hmm. it is different in degree, and I like it a lot. I don't think it's quite different in kind. 
but it's an ECM album he did with an all-star cast, and I like it quite a bit, but I I wasn't sure if it was going to be something that kind of was revelatory about him, and, and, and it wasn't, but it's, it's quite good. And then kind of a crossover album, I, I bought my first Hank Crawford album. Nice. Inspired by that movie I was raving about, Sing, because Sing closes with the Stevie Wonder song, Don't You Worry About a Thing, and it has been on a loop in my head ever since. I mean, that is just an <laughs> unbelievably great song. And Hank Crawford released an album called Don't You Worry About a Thing. So I had to pick that up, arranged by Bob James, he of the uh, kind of middle-of-the-road light jazz albums uh, in the 70s. A little-known career as an avant-garde musician before that. And Hank is kind of the spiritual father of David Sanborn. So this is a five-track record. The first side is quite strong and includes a long rendition of Don't You Worry About a Thing. No vocals, just but, but the melody is, is quite prominent. He, he talked about wanting to make sure people knew the melody. He does another Stevie Wonder song, All in Love is Fair, and a, 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 I think an original called Jana. So that's a very strong side. It is well under 20 minutes. And the second side has a 12-minute song called Show is Funky. And basically, if a song is telling you about how funky it is in the title, that song is probably not successfully funky, unless James Brown is involved with it. So kind of a a plod there. And uh, Groove Junction, short, harmless, but not exciting. So it was kind of fun. It was decent shape. I, I've enjoyed it. You know, used LP I ran across. I've now got a Hank Crawford record. Probably not going to get a dozen more, but as a crossover, you can kind of see as he, where he's the roots for David Sanborn. And boy, the, the musicians on this record are fucking top notch. I mean, he is playing with the big boys. It's 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 mainly background. It's not real pushing anything. Uh, the keyboard solos are fine, but it is well done. So I enjoyed that. But I'm, I'm hoping to get to such delights as Blank Mass's World Eater next time. And I don't know if I've got the energy. I've got Father John Misty's Pure Comedy, his third record. I'll see if I can brace myself for that or not. So, Oh, I'm, I'm all in on Father John Misty. So. Yeah, I should drop that box that to you. I Well, and for me, it's I'm, I'm just hoping this is not another step away from what I consider the brilliance of the debut. I'm, I'm hoping he recovers his mojo, but... I'm afraid he might not. We'll see, see. Not, see, I differ. I thought the second album was really strong, although the tongue-in-cheek factor went up by about 10. I yeah. really like. So anyway, I wanted, before we go, we've got a couple emails from Mike019610. He has chimed in before and uh, did some kind of neat analysis on that kink song that we talked about a little while back, Nothing to Say. Mm. pointed out that a play in, in, in the context that Ray Davies is referring to may have, in fact, referred to a television program rather than a theatrical production, oh. which I thought was okay. kind of neat. And that inspired me to post on our Facebook page a long, rambling essay about the kinks I did 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. So that's available if you want to read me go on and on and on about what I think about the kinks. You probably don't, but there it is. Because you don't go on and on and on and here for exactly. for. for there are Pat completists out there who are like, you know what I need in my life? I need more Pat. Yeah. More uh, Pat. You're like Cowbell. And they're like, I need more Pat. Michael Nesmith is fine, but he's only a substitute. <laughs> he's not the real thing. He's only a he's, right. He's not, he's not the real thing. That's right. So if you need more Pat, more Pat. And so uh, finally, this message from Craig from Minneapolis. Uh, just wanted to send a quick note to let you know that I'm loving the podcast. I really can't get enough, and I'm working my way through the archives. God bless you, sir. Uh, Craig, see a therapist Craig, Craig, you know, if we had free drugs, we'd send them to you and tell you, you know, we're sorry. But and he says very nice things about the Ornette show. He says that that 
he really liked that. He also said that was I a also, good one, actually. And I that also, was a, that was a podcast where we actually tried. Do you remember that one? <laughs> Dimly. Yeah, we'll do that again. Stay tuned for our we have to, You know what? Show. We should try more often. These would be a lot better if we tried. Now, now, now. Let's look, let's look into that. Let's make an effort. Let's let's make this next podcast the best podcast ever. I think we we did our best to to bury Robert Glasper. I think we were trying pretty hard to be snarky. I, I, you bastards. know, if Robert Glasper actually gave a shit about us, oh no, and he would he send shouldn't. his peeps to and, beat know, us. I, but God bless him. yeah, I, no, no, no. The more I, we rant not. about how much we don't like him, the more units he'll move. So it's good That's for good. him, I, which is fine. I, nothing. He wrong. can send us a cut of the proceeds if he likes. I don't think he will. And uh, so anyway, he said he likes the uh, deep dive when you – I love it when you guys do a deep dive into someone's work. And I just want to add in brackets, weather report. He didn't do that, but I wish he had. And oh, I also asked any news oh. about getting Charles McPherson on the show. So I don't know, but he was aware well, that we asked about that. So. Shit. I'll have to I'll have to shake the trees. I'll have to make an effort to get Charles on. Hey, that'd be cool if you could. Thank you for the comments. They're always appreciated. We are in and so let's say the now. thing. Let's say the thing. Let's say the thing about we we want to do a new thing, and we're just going to make it a regular feature of the show, not every third podcast or anything, but with regularity. If there are things that we have not talked about, specific artists or specific albums that you are desperate to hear, send us your cards and letters and a twenty dollar bill, and we will absolutely do like a viewer 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 a listener request. Yeah, podcast. absolutely. And uh, we're, the format's going to change slightly. It, it's going to be Mike and Mike. Nesmith is taking over my role, but he's, <laughs> he'll be better. <laughs> I'm and telling you, when I listened to him talk, I was like, oh, my God, he sounds like Pat. And it was the first thing I thought. You know he'd be great on the show. He'd be much better than me. We just have to try. He'd be down. awesome, except he probably doesn't going. give a shit about Jack. He's, he's got a very sort of – you're a little more hyper than he is. He's got a very sort of laconic – He is. That was his – Yeah. It was his role on the, on the TV show, too. He was a laid back. He was the one who sort of looked at the camera and raised his eyebrow like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> he was the one apologizing all the time. As well he should have been. So yeah, we would love to hear suggestions of music to cover or artists to cover or just specific albums. So yeah, drop us a line. Let us know. That'd be awesome. We kind of flounder around here. We've always got, I mean, this is an endless topic. There is just so much great music out there and music that we can bitch about as well. Uh, that we want to look at and listen to. So it, it's not that I'm, I'm desperate that we're going to run out of tracks. But of course, yeah, if you're interested in hearing about a certain artist, that would give us a motive to try again. I don't know. I, I don't like this idea of so to putting make forth an effort. effort. <laughs> Can't be done. Well, I do think there's something, you know, there's going to be, it, it's some of these shows are more about, you're just kind of dropping something in the tank and seeing how the fish respond. You know, we don't have a long history with some of these artists we don't have tons of context for them. We're just kind of encountering them and blathering about it. And then others, you know, some people like an Ornette Coleman or whoever, I know I've spent just decades kind of absorbing the music, thinking about the music, trying to contextualize it. Just there's certain artists that have that kind of magnetism that I know I obsess over and just think about. I mean, the Kinks would be an example. This hence this long dissection of, of what they're up to. So there's going to be a difference there, but it's cool, I think, sometimes just to kind of encounter stuff blind and see, well, what sense could you make of this? And what I learned is autotune sucks. So we learn something every show. <laughs> and that concludes episode 115 of the Jazz Bastard Podcast. As we said repeatedly, we'd love your suggestions about topics for the show. You can reach us at pat at jazzbastard.com or mike at jazzbastard.com or you could post to our Facebook page. 
You can download the podcast from www.jazzmaster.com or from iTunes. Tune in next time as we discuss work by Joey Alexander, Bruno Vencina, Donnie McCaslin, and Scott Tixier. Until next time, take care. I hate auto-tune, I hate auto-tune, I hate auto-tune a lot. Whoa!